I'm excited this morning uh, because we are jumping into a brand new series. Uh, really, it's the third installment of a larger series we've been in since last August called The Uncommon Kingdom. And this morning, we're diving into a new series called Kingdom Rhythms. And really, we're getting into the next section of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus continues to unpack for the people of God what kingdom life and kingdom righteousness for the citizens of the kingdom of God, what that looks like. And so just as a reminder, if you remember, Jesus begins this sermon in Matthew 5 with the Beatitudes. And he, he teaches us in those verses, starting around verse 3 of Matthew 5, about the blessed life this life of blessing that we have as kingdom citizens and, and how in this life of blessing, when Jesus has captured our hearts, he begins to do things in us, things like cause us to recognize our spiritual poverty. He, he, poverty. he says, blessed are those who are spiritually poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We recognize that. Jesus says, when I grab your heart, you're going to mourn your sin. Blessed are those who mourn. Um, he says, um, when, when I've transformed your heart and you have this blessing of being a kingdom citizen, you're going to be meek. You're going to surrender that sin. Then you're going to hunger and thirst after righteousness. He goes on to say in the Beatitudes that when you have received this love and mercy from me, you're going to become merciful. Blessed are those who are merciful, peacemakers. Um, he talks about how we're going to endure persecution. And then he, in verse 13, he tells us that the fruit then of being a kingdom citizen, the fruit of this blessed life is that we become salt and light to the world. That's the fruit of that. And then we started uh, the second installment of this, uh, really around verse 21, where we dove into um, Jesus talking about, we called it the But I Say series. This is where Jesus was dealing with some things that they had been taught, some, some very popular but very wrong interpretations of God's word. And he dealt with them in that phrase, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And so Jesus said, here's what you've been taught. You've been taught that as long as you don't murder, you're all good. As long as you don't commit adultery, everything's great. Um, as long as you don't hate your neighbor, you're hitting the mark. But I say to you, what God actually expects, what he wants for us, is that we wouldn't have anger in our heart, that we wouldn't have lust in our heart, and that we would love our enemy, not just avoid hating our neighbor. And so he's elevating, he's raising the standard of what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God and what it means to um, walk in the righteousness that we have from Christ. And today we're going to um, look at what this kingdom righteousness, this kingdom life looks like in the area of our spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines or what we're calling kingdom rhythms. And so in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 1, Jesus kind of shifts here. He makes a turn. He shifts away from talking about what the people had heard taught by the Pharisees, and he begins to shift toward what they've seen lived out in the life of the Pharisees. So he, he moves away from what they've heard, and he starts to move toward what they've Seen. And he does this by addressing really three areas, um, three spiritual rhythms, if you will. And you'll, we'll, we'll be unpacking these over the next three or four weeks from Matthew chapter 6. He deals with the area of giving, of praying, 
and of fasting. And what he starts to demonstrate to all the people that are around and to his disciples, he begins to point out how what they have seen lived out in the lives of their religious leaders when it comes to giving and praying and fasting has been nothing more than a superficial, um, self-serving, self-centered, external righteousness. Jesus describes them this way in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. He says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. He calls them hypocrites. Now, that Greek word for hypocrites is the word hypocrites, and literally it was a word that was applied to a stage actor. That's what they would call people who would act on a stage. And here's essentially, Jesus takes this word now, and he points it toward the Pharisees, and he says, what you have seen in their lives is nothing more than actors playing a part. That's what he's really beginning to to dive into and to point out here in Matthew chapter 6. He's saying, your religious leaders, are these Pharisees are nothing more than actors playing a part. And that's not what God wants for his people. Everything they do is to gain the attention of others, to draw focus to themselves. It is a look at me righteousness. And Jesus said, that, that's not what God has called us to. I feel like the, the Pharisees are an easy target, right? We pick on them all the time. And one of the things I'm constantly warning myself about is to be sure that I rightly find my place in these stories, because I always want to be, you know, the disciples that are really close to Jesus. Yeah, that's who I am. Most of the time when I find myself in the story, I'm the Pharisee, right? I'm, I'm, I'm the super judgy, trying to be hyper-spiritual person. And by the way, that's, that's you too. And so um, it's easy to pick on the Pharisees and because there is this part of them that everything they did was for show, I really feel like if the Pharisees would have had iPhones, they would have invented the selfie. They would have invented the thing, right, where they were constantly inserting themselves into their own pictures. Um, we live in a selfie culture, right? Can you just, can you imagine, if you're under the age of 40, can you imagine life without selfies? If you go back and look in your grandmother's photo albums and your parents' photo albums, you know what? They're never in the picture. You want to know Why? Because they never took a selfie in their life. They didn't know how to do it. Try to do that with a Polaroid. You know what I mean? It's been been all kinds of weird. Um, But we live in this selfie culture. You know, if you were to Google how to take the perfect selfie, 39 million (laughs) results on how to do that. Just just if you need some minor reading later on how to take a perfect selfie, selfie, 39 million results. Um, 93 million selfies are taken Every day. Every day. This is one that blew my mind. And we're just going to sit with this for a minute. There are more people that die every year from taking a selfie than there are that die from shark attack. Okay? That shouldn't be true. There is no way we should live in a society where we can say that's true. It's 100% true. More people die trying to put their face into a picture than die from an eating machine in the ocean. All right? That's not right. Something's wrong with that. Um, But that's real. And what's the point of a selfie? The point of a selfie is that we put ourselves in a picture so that people see us, 
in a certain place and with a certain group of people, and it makes them interested in that or piques their interest in what we're doing, and so we insert ourselves into that. But here's what's most often true, and you tell me, what's most often true is in our attempt to um, to draw attention to where we are and to capture someone's attention and make them think a certain way about what we're doing or who we, we're with, we actually miss enjoying being in that place. And we miss enjoying with being with those people. I see it all the time. So do you. You go to places and people are missing the blessing of where they are because they're trying to capture the perfect picture. Are you in this room? If that's you, you miss the joy of where you are because you just can't stop taking pictures, right? This is the idea that Jesus is starting to deal with in Matthew chapter 6. He's going to address this system that had been created by the religious leaders where the outward practice of their faith, what was seen, was being done for the purpose of being seen. That's why they did it. It wasn't done for its true purpose, which was to be an act of worship and an act of service to God. And Jesus is going to deal with this right here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. This is the only verse we'll look at today. So grab your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, and let's look at the words of Christ. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Why don't we just pray for a moment? Let's ask God to... Um, make our hearts tender before him to speak to us. And uh, whatever your week has been like in this prayer, I'm going to ask you to plead with the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart today. So let's just pray that together. Father, we... I just want to confess two things, Lord. The first being you are worthy of my worship and my love and my adoration. You're worthy of my mind's attention this morning. And so... God, as a declaration of your great worth, I just want to focus on you this morning. But my second confession is, Lord, I need your help with that. Um, There's a war in each of us, Lord, that wants to pull our focus and our attention away. So Holy Spirit, would you come and would you help us to to bring our heart and our mind uh, under the banner of your care for us and your sovereignty and your desire to change us and make us more like Jesus. Would you help us to focus in? Father, we just want to behold you today. We just want to see you and hear your voice. So would you do what you, in your word what only your word can do? God, would you cause it to move in us, to teach us, to correct us, um, to train us up? Would you cause that to happen over the next few minutes. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the very first word that Jesus uses here in Matthew chapter 6 gives us uh, a very clear indication of how we are to approach um, this idea of kingdom rhythms and spiritual disciplines and practicing righteousness. The word is beware. That's the first word he said. In Greek, it's the word prosecco, which means this. It literally means be on high alert. Pay attention to yourself. That's what it means. This was a word that would often be used as a nautical term to apply to the captain of a ship and how he was supposed to focus when he was bringing the ship into dock. So when the the 
The ship's captain was coming into dock. He was supposed to beware. He was supposed to pay attention, be mindful. Every decision matters. Be very, very focused. Know where the rocks are. Know where the coastline is. Beware. That's what this word was used for. And Jesus now uses this word to apply to us as we practice righteousness, as we live out these kingdom rhythms. I can tell you in my own life, especially as a young man, my heart needed constantly to be um, reminded to beware. I needed this warning often growing up, especially when I was a teenager. I'll share a moment with you. Um, As a junior high kid, I I kind of grew quickly and and was one of the taller kids around eighth grade. It's hard to believe that all five foot nine inches of me at one time was one of the tallest kids, but I really was. And um, I was a mediocre athlete at best. You know, if you have a chance to peak athletically in the eighth grade, I would recommend it. It's a lot of fun. to watch everybody else just soar by you athletically, and you're like, oh, we used to be friends. Now I'm not cool. And so if you get a chance to do that, I would recommend it. Um, and so in the eighth grade, I was, I was an okay uh, athlete and because I had just grown quickly. And so my coach had put me as uh, the kickoff return guy, right? That was a big deal. And so we're in this eighth grade football game, and here comes the kickoff, and I'm back, and I catch it. And the first thing I notice, coach, the first thing I notice is that whole left side of the field, nobody's over there. And I'm like, I'm about to do something fantastic. And I'm telling you, I start booking. And Lynn, I'm, I make the corner, nobody's with me. And there's that moment where I knew, I'm about to run this back. for That's happening right now. I'm about to run it back for a touchdown. I knew I wasn't going to get caught. And so at the 20-yard line, I did something that I knew I wasn't supposed to do, and, and, but because I was just full of myself. At the 20-yard line, I take that football and I stick it up in the air. I'm 20 yards from the end zone, all right? I stick it up in the air, and I am just booking, baby, you ain't catching me. And I cross the end zone. I get across the end zone line, and I had always been taught you score a touchdown, you take that football, you go put it in the referee's hand, you get back to the sideline. Wes, that ain't what I did. I took the ball, and when I crossed that line, <laughs> I did a reverse spike, all right? I took it, and I went, wham, right behind my back like that. So everybody's going crazy, right? I look over to the sideline, my whole team losing their mind right now. Here's my coach, who was a very godly man. His name was Gerald Dawkins. Coach Dawkins looking at me like this. He ain't cheering. He ain't happy. He could not wait for me to get back to that sideline. He was like, you come on, I'm about to destroy everything in your life. Get over here right now. He couldn't wait. I looked up in the stands. They are going crazy. I find my mom and dad. Here's the look on their face. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. They couldn't wait for the game to be over because <laughs> they were going to unleash the beast on me. And when the game ended, my mother met me at the fence that's when you know it's not great. You know what I mean? She's, she came out of the stands and met me at the fence. And first words out of her mouth were this. You better watch yourself. Prosecco, you better beware. You better pay attention. Because here's what she said. You may have done all the right things, but it was obvious to everybody that was looking, you did them for all the wrong reasons. That was all about you. That wasn't about your team. That wasn't about anything else. And this is what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, beware Pay attention when it comes to practicing these rhythms and these disciplines. We have to be on guard because, listen, church, the highest priority for us as kingdom citizens is not, did we do the right thing? 
The church is filled with people who will do the right thing. The highest priority is, did we do them with the right motive? Was my heart right when I did them? That's the highest priority for the kingdom citizen. The church is filled with people who know how to check the box. Jesus has said, it ain't about that. Religious leaders check the box. The Pharisees are box checkers. I need people whose hearts are motivated by a desire to love God and to worship him and to serve him and to see him glorified. And that's what Jesus is addressing here this morning. So let's look at uh, this verse again. I think there's three truths that we can take away from Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Three things that, to me, kind of emerge um, out of the text. The first one is this. Righteousness received leads to righteousness practiced. Righteousness received leads to righteousness practiced. The first thing I think that Jesus establishes here in Matthew chapter 6 is that we will practice righteousness. You see it in the first few words where he says, beware of practicing this ongoing rhythm. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. What Jesus doesn't say is, hey, if you happen to be living righteously today, beware. If you happen to be um, living righteously as you go about your day to day, I want you to pay attention. No, he's, there's an expectation that as kingdom citizens, we are going to practice righteousness. If you look at how he addresses these issues throughout the rest of the chapter, when he talks about giving and he talks about praying and he talks about fasting, it, what, he says is, what he says is this, and when you give and when you pray and when you fast. And he uses that language because there is an expectation that for the kingdom citizen, we are going to do these things. We're going to have these spiritual kingdom rhythms and practices in our life. Why? Because the, in belonging to Jesus, in being a kingdom citizen, in him being the Lord of our life, we have received his righteousness. It's been imputed to us. That means it's been given to us. And the righteousness then that we have received from Christ becomes righteousness that is then lived out in our life. It is the natural flow of being a kingdom citizen. When we've received the righteousness of Christ, we live out the righteousness of Christ. That's why Jesus says, and when you, not if, but when you do these things. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus said um, that unless your righteousness exceeds that, of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. His point is this. Unless you have this righteousness that is born from the work I've done in you, not from checking the box, that's what they do. You've got to be better than that. It's got to be something different than that. Unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, unless your righteousness is something that has grabbed your heart, has transformed you, and is now pouring out of you, you're never going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because that's what the gospel does, right? If you have been born again, if Jesus is the Lord of your life, then you know this to be true. When Jesus enters your life, everything changes. Amen? It just changes. Jesus never leaves a space unchanged, ever. <laughs> when, he, when he enters, it changes. And when you become a believer, when 
He becomes the Lord of your life. When you receive that imputed righteousness from him, all of a sudden your desires begin to change. Your priorities begin to change. Your desire to pursue God and to please him above yourself and to seek him with all your heart, all of that begins to shift. Here's what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 3 and 4. He says, his divine power has granted to us, that means he's given it, he's imputed to us, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us, again, there's that word of being imputed, being given, his very precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the what? Say those two words, the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Peter is saying that when we receive Jesus, um, when we receive a new nature, we, receive a we become partakers in a divine nature, and with this new nature comes new desires. This relationship with Jesus fundamentally transforms everything about who we are. Not just the things we do, it transforms the motives behind why we do them. And that change in our life is the evidence of the relationship in our life. Meaning what? Meaning if your story is, I prayed a prayer when I was young, but there's no evidence of my life ever being changed, then I would contend with you, you've never received the righteousness of Christ. If your life isn't marked by the righteousness of Christ, the desire to practice righteousness and live this way. If, if that desire isn't there, then most likely it's because that righteousness isn't there. And so I would ask all of us, these are, these are passages, these are moments in God's Word, these are Sundays where we, we need to examine ourselves. We need to look inside and ask the question, is Jesus the Lord of my life? Have I truly made him my Lord and Savior and he has transformed me from the inside out? Not did I say some words when I was a kid, but have I met Jesus and has he changed me? Am I new? Do I have those desires? Is, is there this desire to worship him and serve him by keeping these spiritual rhythms and kingdom disciplines. I think that's just the first thing that we see. Righteousness received leads to righteousness that is practiced. And when Jesus communicates that this received righteousness leads to practiced righteousness, what does he mean by practicing your righteousness? What specifically is he talking about? Well, in this chapter 6, he's talking about those three things. He's talking about giving praying, and fasting. We know that's not an exhaustive list of spiritual disciplines, but it is what he's addressing here. And the reason he's addressing those three here in Matthew chapter 6 is because those were considered the three pillars of the Jewish faith. They were called the three pillars. These were the three marks of the Jewish faith, giving alms, praying, and fasting. It was the expectation that every single Jew did those three things. 
Those were the spiritual disciplines. That's how we understand them. So what, what is a spiritual discipline? What is a kingdom rhythm? I want you to look at this. This is the next thing I think we see. Kingdom rhythms are spiritual practices of worship and service to our king. Kingdom rhythms are spiritual And this is going to help us for the weeks ahead as we talk about these rhythms of praying and fasting and giving and the others that come along. These are the rhythms we keep. They're practices of worship and service to our king. And that's why they were given. They were given uh, because they were meant to be worship that was rendered to God. They were expressions of love and service back to God for who he is and for what he had done in our life. But what had happened was they had become nothing more than religious obligation, and they were done for show. That's what they had become. And can we just acknowledge that that happens in this place, doesn't it? We, we, we can keep the list, but oftentimes it's kept for show to make sure people... Think of us the way we want them to think of us. And that's what Jesus was, was dealing with right here. This is why Jesus says, beware, you got to pay attention. He's warning us. Because when we do the things that were meant to be a response of worship to God, but we do them for the reward of men, we rob God of his worship. That's what we do. We rob, and what is worship? Worship is an active response to God where we turn our mind's attention, our heart's affection, and our life's obedience on him to declare that he is worthy of it. That's what worship is. It's the giving of our mind's attention, our heart's affection, our life's obedience and devotion to declare that he is worthy simply because of who he is and in grace because of what he's done. For us, which means what? My righteous living is worship. Worship isn't about what we do. It isn't only about what we do in this room. It is about the righteous spiritual rhythms that we keep outside of this room. So our Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore, my brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Meaning what? Keep these rhythms, keep these disciplines, offer your body and your life as a sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. These kingdom rhythms, spiritual disciplines, they are worship to God. I think it's important for us to see something here that Jesus is saying. When Jesus addresses these three issues of giving and praying and fasting, he isn't rebuking them, and he isn't diminishing them. He's, he's realigning them. He's, get, he's getting them back to their true God-honoring purpose, which means what? The problem is not found in the pursuit of righteous things. The problem's found in our heart. The problem isn't found in the pursuit of doing things that please the Lord or doing things. We've, the problem is in our heart. We've been called to live righteously. First John chapter two, let me just give you two verses. Verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And Jesus said this in Matthew chapter five, verse 16. He says, so let your light shine. Go live righteously. Let your light shine before others so that they will see your good works, your spiritual kingdom rhythms, and then give glory to your father 
who is in heaven. And we call, we call them practices, we call them disciplines for a reason. Because we may not always be good at them. Now think about that for a minute. You can attest, right, that there's times when you try something and you're just not great at it. You're just not great at it, right? There's some of these spiritual disciplines that are going to come more naturally to you. They're going to come easy to you. And there's some of them you're going to have to to work for. There's some of them you're going to gain the desire as you do them more, as you keep them as a rhythm in your life. When I was 15, I picked up a guitar for the first time. Never held it. It was a piece of junk is what it was. My mother had gotten it out of a pawn shop, and the action on it, if it, the action on a guitar is the space between the neck of the guitar and the strings. It should be really low. This felt like it was a mile apart because the instrument was a piece of junk. And I was trying to learn how to play it, and it sounded awful, and my fingers were clumsy, and I didn't know what I was doing, and my hand hurt all the time. Has anybody just remembered learning, Philip, learning to play guitar? Anybody else play guitar? You remember those early days? It hurt. It sounds terrible. You're, you're terrible at it. Your fingers don't know where to go. You don't have any calluses on your fingers. And, um, the, but I learned something. It was this. The more I practiced it, two things happened. One, the sound changed. And when the sound changed, the desire changed. Here's what I mean. The more I practiced that instrument, my hand got a little stronger. I built up calluses on my fingertips. My fingers didn't feel so clumsy anymore. I was able to make chords. I could make my right hand and my left hand, even though they were doing different things, they were working together, and I had a little more rhythm. And, and as I practiced, the sound started to change. And as the sound started changing, my desire to play started growing. And as I desired more, I practiced more. And the more I practiced, the better it sounded. And the better it sounded, the more I wanted to play. And the more I wanted to play, the more I'd pick it up and practice. You see what was happening? These spiritual rhythms in our life are no different than that. They are these practices. They're things we have to work at. For some of us, we struggle to keep the spiritual disciplines because when we do them, we don't immediately feel God. We don't immediately feel better. Am I talking to myself or is there somebody in here that's with me on that part? Yeah. If you find yourself there, this is that moment where you practice until you practice right. You with me? This is that moment where you follow God and you obey God until you feel God. We immediately want to feel him and then in feeling him start doing the things he wants us to do. And what God has said is you got to settle into this rhythm of being obedient. And in, obedient, being in obedience comes the intimacy of the relationship. And this isn't an exhaustive list. There are others. God's Word talks about the priority of reading His Word, memorizing Scripture, um, worship in private, worship in public, being a part of the local church, sharing the gospel. These are all spiritual rhythms. And as we keep these rhythms, as we do them, as we practice them, as we grow, here's what we find. The deepening of our joy in Christ grows. The sound gets better. It starts sounding better. 
And the better it sounds, the more I want to do it. And our desires begin to change. 1 Timothy said it this way in chapter 4, verse 7. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Now, what's in the word train? Practice, right? Work. Rhythm. Get up every day. Do it. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And this saying is trustworthy, and it is deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. We settle into church. We settle into this rhythm. We settle into these disciplines. We practice this righteousness because in the toil and labor of it, it produces the intimacy and the joy and the hope in God. So kingdom rhythms are these spiritual practices of worship and service to our King. Here's the last thing I want you to notice from Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. The motive of kingdom rhythms determines the reward of kingdom rhythms. This is where Jesus is going to get in our business a little bit. He's just going to, just letting you know, he's going to crawl into your business for a minute because he's been crawling in mine. The motive of kingdom rhythms determines the reward of kingdom rhythms. Jesus says in verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before the people in order to be seen by them. For then, when you do that, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Beware, pay attention, be mindful. Specifically, he says, beware of doing these things in order to be seen by people. Now that word seen is another interesting Greek word. It's the word theiomai, theiomai, which literally is where we get our word theater, theatrics, right? It's the idea of putting on a show in order to be seen by others. Now remember in verse 5 of Matthew 6, Jesus calls the uh, Pharisees hypocrites, which means play actors. And so Jesus is using this theater language. He's saying, um, be mindful not to do this like someone play acting in a show. He's painting this picture that says you cannot be someone who is spiritually just putting on a play. This, this, this thing of our spiritual lives being a, a production in order to convince someone we're something we're not. And I'm going to tell you, I've been guilty of that. And if I'm not careful, I'll be guilty of it today before I leave this place. Are you with me? Guilty of doing things so that you will think I'm something spiritually that isn't real. <laughs> I told you Jesus was going to get in our business a little bit. We struggle with this, right? This is real. Jesus says, you have to beware. You have to pay attention. When you do these things, this spiritual play acting is hypocrisy, and God hates it. He hates it. He isn't honored by it, and he will not honor it. There is no reward from God when we seek reward from man. So let me tell you what that looks like in my life. 
I have to remind myself constantly that when I stand on a Sunday morning and preach, if I preach and share from God's Word so that someone will tell me that it sounded good, that it made them feel good, great job, Pastor, if that's why I do that, I have all the reward I'm going to get, and none of it is from the Father. None of it is from the Father. The applause of a man is a dangerous thing, isn't it? <laughs> it's dangerous. Here's why it's dangerous. The applause of man is dangerous because it is addictive. When I get a little bit, you know what I want? A little bit more. It's addictive, right? It's also dangerous because it's unpredictable. It's, un it's shifting, meaning this. The ones that applaud you today will tear you down tomorrow. Who's ever experienced that as a reality? Um, the applause of man is uh, dangerous because it's short-lived. But the most important reason why we understand it is dangerous is because when we seek the applause of men, we lose the approval of God. Why do you keep the spiritual rhythms you keep? Is it so others will think of you a certain way? Or is it because you are in pursuit of intimacy with God? Jesus is saying these rhythms that you keep, these things that you're doing, they cannot become a spiritual camouflage to cover what's really going on. Because when that happens, it's hypocrisy. In Isaiah chapter 1, God called Isaiah to be his prophet, set him aside. In the very first words, the first chapter, the first thing God spoke through Isaiah was dealing with this issue right here. Look at Isaiah chapter 1, start in verse 11. He says, what to me, this is God speaking, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of them. Wow. When you spread out your hands... I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers, even though you're checking all the boxes, I will not listen, for your hands are full of blood. What is God saying? He's saying, I am rejecting the spiritual hypocrisy. I despise it. I despise the performance, because the heart is not genuine. Let's just be honest for a moment, and then I promise I'll stop picking on you. <laughs> there are some that come every week um, and come into this place and settle into these seats because they need the spiritual camouflage. They need the covering. 
because they don't want anybody to really know there's not any intimacy with Jesus. And the way we make sure no one knows that is we make sure we got that look. We come to church, go to life group. Hey, brother, how are you? Everything's great. We got that camel. We're in that tent. We got that covered. Some people do that. Some people cover it by coming in with this spirit of, of spiritual elitism. Right? And they'll judge the passionate worship of someone else because it makes them uncomfortable. I'm being real. Jesus is pursuing you for better than that today. He's pursuing you for more than that today. Jesus has no interest in your attendance here if your attendance here isn't born out of and leading to and a part of something he's doing in your life. If you're checking a box, what are we doing? And hear me, when I say this, I'm talking to myself. I'm ta- this is a, this is, we're all in the boat on this deal. And I think Jesus knew we needed this warning because he, he knew Matt Darby needed this warning because in my flesh, I so easily trend toward man's approval. It is easy. It is a short trip for me to try to pursue man's approval and self-adulation and the applause of men. And when I do that, Jesus is reminding me I have forfeited spiritual blessing. And what is the blessing? What is the reward of being faithful and obedient in this area? The reward is deeper intimacy with God now and eternal reward with him forever. The reward is the abundant life now and the crown of glory forever. The reward is the divine power of God now and the fullness of his presence forever. So here's my question. Is that enough for you? Is it enough knowing that Jesus will simply fulfill the promises he's made to you in this life and in the next? Is that enough? Jesus is saying for the kingdom citizen... That's all we need. I don't need anything else. I don't need someone to applaud my good deeds. Because what if nobody ever applauds your good deeds? <laughs> Are they still worth doing? You bet. In the path of obedience, it is worth doing. So what do we do with this? We do with this idea of our motives needing to be right and not just checking the box and not just covering ourselves with this spiritual camouflage. What do we do? I want you to see the very next verse that the Lord spoke to his people through Isaiah after he tells them, don't even come. Don't bring me these offerings anymore because your heart's not right. Look at what he says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16. So what do we do? Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes and cease to do evil and learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's case. And then in just an absolute, one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. So come now. Come on. Let us reason together. 
Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And they are, though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Even now, even seeing the condition of my heart and seeing the condition of yours, even if you're in a place right now where your whole life is nothing but spiritual camouflage, you know what the Lord is saying? Come, come now. Let's reason together. I want to deal with that in your life. I want more for you than that. So how do we respond? I think for some, today is the day where you acknowledge that you've never received the righteousness of Christ. That if I were to ask you, when was the moment you met Jesus and you received that righteousness and he changed everything, when was it? Your honest answer would be, I do a lot of good stuff. Yeah, but when was the moment? Man, I go to church. Yes. When was the moment, Jesus, I tithe. I go to life group. I serve. I'm on the fit team. I lead in kids. When was the moment that you met him and he changed you and you've never been the same? Some of you, today is the day you acknowledge, that's actually never happened for me. I, I need Jesus. I need the imputed righteousness of Christ and I need it today. For some of you, today is the day or you just confess and repent and say, God, I don't want this to be spiritual camouflage. I want to pursue you. I want a deeper intimacy with you. You've saved me. I'm yours. And now I want that relationship to be what it's supposed to be. And I don't want to cover myself in checking the right boxes. Maybe that's you. You just need to come and repent that you've been using church and life group. And these th you've been using those as the spiritual covering. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe this morning you would just say, you know what? I, I feel like my relationship with Jesus is exactly what it needs to be. Well done. <laughs> um, my, my challenge to you would be, then you should beg the Holy Spirit to keep your heart tender before him. Keep my heart pliable. Give me a holy fear of the applause of men. And give me a white, hot desire for the approval of God. Then that's your prayer today. So where are you? We're going to worship. Our ministers are going to be here um, at the front. And my challenge to you is this. Don't use this worship song as spiritual camouflage. Don't do it. Don't use this as an opportunity to stay in your seat and sing real loud and raise your hand and cover what the Lord wants to do. If you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life and the Holy Spirit has said, I, I, I want to be your Lord, you need to get out and come on. If you need to come confess, come confess. Whatever you need to do, I'm asking you to do it now. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And I ask that over these next moments, Lord, that you would just be honored, that we would have the courage of obedience to just step out, to come and let you do this work in our lives. So Lord, would you do it in Jesus' name? Amen.